0: Welcome to the Wheel of Time Rewind Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Whifford. Hello! So today, we are going to be talking about episode three of the Wheel of Time series. And so, this one here is titled, A Place Place of of Safety. safety. (laughs) As you hear Mike whispering creepily in the background. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But... Before we get into talking about the episode there, we're going to run through some formalities first. So if you'd like to contact the show, feel free to reach out at rewind at gmail.com. Or if you're on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, you can hit us up at WOTRewind. We'd love to hear from you guys.
1: Like and share. Yeah,
0: like and share, rate, review, all that great stuff there. Um, So before we get into talking about the episode... Mike and I wanted to talk quickly about something that we found that was very helpful for the series, and that is Brandon Sanderson's a description and breakdown of the first couple episodes that he posted on his Reddit account there. So, Mike, why don't mm-hmm. you take this away and talk us through this?
1: Okay, so Dylan, um, it was actually really funny because I was on Facebook just going through some of the different groups and seeing the very mixed... Fan base um, divided, I think would probably be the best term for it yeah. right now. And I saw someone who had posted uh, a link to what Bri- Brandon Sanderson had said about, uh, I think, the first episode. And then Dylan just texted me. He was like, hey, check this out. And it was Brandon Sanderson's Reddit thread for. Uh, to episode two and uh, the rest of episode one. And so I was like, huh, read through them. And it was really cool because Brandon Sanderson, as um, a lot of people know, was involved with the series. Uh, With the book series, he finished the books after Robert Jordan passed. But with the TV show series, he was hired on as kind of like a consultant. And so they would run things by him and he would kind of advocate for certain things or he would ask that... Um, some things get removed or maybe, you know, changed. And it was really neat to see, like, how he talked about with the first episode um, certain elements, for instance, Perrin's wife. And he advocated, and I thought this was so funny because we were just talking about this on uh, our last episode there, or our previous episode here, <laughs> about how instead of doing or creating a wife for Perrin by having him, as Dylan suggested, Having as Dylan suggested, Master Luhan be the one that Perrin killed. And he said you'd get the same emotional baggage, but you wouldn't have quite as much of fallout from it. There wouldn't be quite as much trauma as, like, killing your wife. And that was something, like, we had kind of talked about. They could have gotten away with the same thing if they just made it a girlfriend or Master is Again, Dylan, right on the money yeah. there with that one. And I agree. Everyone should really go and read this, regardless of how you feel about the series so far, because somebody who finished the Wheel of Time series, who wrote it, who it's almost as much his baby as Robert Jordan's in some ways, not saying it's exactly the same or anything like that. But he definitely had as much invest, like a lot invested in the series too, because he wrote it and he wanted to honor Robert Jordan's legacy. And he has this really great perspective. Like he's like, you know, this is their decision. um, And I'm just here to see it. And I'm glad that they take these suggestions from me and implement them and I still think some of the things that they do provide certain um, elements that weren't there before. Dylan, what were your thoughts on some of what you read from Brandon Sanderson?
0: Well, like you said, Brandon Sanderson is somebody who is highly invested in this series being a success. Because, like you said, even though he did not create the world of The Wheel of Time, he did carry The Wheel of Time across the finish line, put the series on his back, once Robert Jordan passed away and finished this thing, so I have a lot of respect for Brandon Sanderson and his opinion on this because if there's one person other than Robert Jordan who knows as much about this world as possible, it is Brandon Sanderson. So my thoughts on this were: first of all, I am very honored to have a great idea that was shared by one of the men, one of the men who uh, wrote the series here. So. I'm excited about his vision for that Um, and wish they would have done that too because as Mike and I expressed we were a little disappointed about that scene in particular uh, with Perrin's wife being murdered by him but at the same time I think the rest of what Brandon Sanderson said is just as important where he talks about how this is Rafi's version of the Wheel of Time this is Rafi's vision for it and the rest of the showrunners over there um, at amazon and getting this thing made they were consulting him on some pieces but they didn't have to necessarily listen to him um like he says that he didn't even see the full episodes until we all did so like when you take his perspective on things like this where he was like holding very firm at certain points about like how moraine can't strike lightning down from the sky to blow up a raft while this guy is on it but she could create a whirlpool and have him swim into the whirlpool, but have her stop channeling right away when he starts going towards it to abide by the three oaths. Like, those nuances, those differences, that was something that Brandon Sanderson brought to the process of making Real Time a television show, and that was something that... I think it's definitely provided value. Um, I think that what he said about this being its own turning of the wheel, about this being Rafi's vision, is just something to keep in mind as well, because we are going to have moments where we might not necessarily agree with what we see on screen 100%. And I gotta say, like, I have a lot of respect for Brandon Sanderson bringing this up in a public place on the internet like this, where these statements will live on forever now. Whether that's to his detriment or not, he felt like it was true, so he said it. And so I have a lot of respect for him sharing his opinions there. But like Mike said, it's on Reddit. If you go there and you search Mistborn, that is Brandon Sanderson's Reddit handle, so, which is another fantastic fantasy book series that he himself wrote. Um, so check that out if you haven't. But if you want to go read his comments for yourself, we highly encourage you to do that. Without farther ado, let's get to the main reason why we are here. Let's talk about episode three, a place of safety. So starting off at the beginning of this episode, we have Nynaeve right where we left her at the end of episode two, holding her knife to Lan's throat, demanding answers about where are her friends. I love that. So yes, I thought that was fantastic. Because we also get the backstory here of how Nynaeve escaped from the Trollocs. Like, we get to see her fighting the Trolloc um, in the pool there, the sacred pool in the two rivers that she showed us in episode one. Um, I thought it was very interesting, though, Mike, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. How the Trolloc that was carrying her away by her braid set her down and went to the wounded Trolloc to devour him and eat him rather than eating Nynaeve.
1: I initially was like, oh, that that's kind of odd. But then I thought about it and like, if you think about the Trolloc, one, he's dragging this girl away because he wants to eat her. <clears throat> Two, she's powerless against him, you know. And this Trolloc, who even though he's wounded, could potentially, like if he started eating Nynaeve there, you know, interrupt his eating and attack him or something. So I feel like he was assessing threats and like, oh, he's already wounded and he could interfere with me. I'm just going to kill him real quick. So I I like that they included that, too, because it's sort of nodding to the fact that, like, Trollocs are just monsters in general.
0: Yeah, Trollocs are not loyal yeah. even to each other.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so I thought that was good to show that. And I think too it just showed like how the Trolloc had basically assessed Nynaeve as weak. And so they were I feel like they were also trying to prove a point there that, you know, she's not very strong or whatever else and not very fast and he's not worried about her. But see in that way. I also mistake. I
0: also wonder though, like if he may have had like orders not to necessarily eat her. Because like we've seen Trollocs Uh, do the bidding of Murdral, do the bidding of Fades in the book series, and they are in turn doing the bidding of the Dark One. So if it's a possibility that Nynaeve could be the dragon in this TV series, I wonder if he had orders not to kill her, not to eat her. And so he was like, you know what, I'm getting a little snack before I take her off to Shea Ghoul.
1: Oh, well, that's I didn't think about that because they've only said the four and they've talked about Egwene and the three boys. So right. that's not, I mean, that's not a bad idea at all. But can we just talk about how badass naive was? Oh, I, I really probably <laughs> need to remove that from the podcast, but how just, oh, it was, that whole scene was amazing. Once she got in there, she got in the pool and he, like the trolls sitting there stabbing the water. And so I think that might counteract your theory there is he's like stabbing yeah
0: I think that you're probably more on the money at that part he was like oh you know what Nynaeve she's not going anywhere this guy here he might recover you know he might try to eat her with me I want her all to myself I'm gonna eat him first and then I'm gonna eat her so that's probably more right to the point there but yeah like that was exactly what I had written down I was like you know what Nynaeve like coming in there like Rambo style poking her head up <laughs> out of the pool grabbing the Trolloc's knife and just murking him with his own weapon uh, I was like that's yeah. that's pretty great and then you get the, then the the braid whip
1: yeah yeah oh yeah the braid whip at the end was just so good that was that was
0: pretty beastly there um but then we get it coming right back to Nynaeve and Lan with Nynaeve having Lan's knife at his throat and I absolutely loved how Lan was way more concerned about how Nynaeve found him than anything she could do to him <laughs> physically. In that. Yeah, he was like, I don't care that you have a blade right to my throat. How did you find me? It was great. And then Nynaeve starts interrogating him, asking him, you know, why did Moraine leave my friends? Why should I help her out? I don't care if she's wounded and dies. Lan's just like, she didn't leave your friends. I did. What you gonna do about it? <laughs> and uh, I feel like this scene here is really where Lan I feel like starts to look at Nynaeve in like that that way that he does in the books, like where he starts to mm-hmm. be like, "Huh, you have great tracking skills. You actually tried to kill me. <laughs> hmm, I like you." <laughs> so it's like the start Should of their yeah, right. <laughs> the start of their relationship almost. Um, kind of <laughs> funny there. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Blood.
1: i, I think it. the injury to moraine is an interesting wrinkle um and i think by the end of the episode we see why i think they included it yeah but it's interesting i was surprised though that Nynaeve didn't immediately like go to help her and i i kind of understand why but you know she is a wisdom and she's trying to save everyone so
0: yeah but then we get a cut of rand and matt And I feel like you really start to see the corruption of Matt in this part of the episode where he's walking towards the top of this mountain with Rand and just complaining and complaining and complaining the entire time. And if you compare that to the rest of the series we've seen so far with Matt, Matt has been the voice of reason. He's been the comedy relief. He's been the caregiver. And he just seems to not give an F anymore. And just wants to go back to the two rivers. And I feel like that's part of the corruption of the dagger with Matt.
1: Definitely an interesting change. And we see, I think, more so when they get to the village. I did like the humor here, though. I thought that was really well, really well-timed. It kind of just lightened it a little bit with Rand, actually, of all people. Well, that's
0: what I was going to say, is I actually have written down in my notes that Rand loses a grain and now he seems to be somebody I can like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm.
0: But then we get a jump over to Perrin and Egwene, and they look like they are in rough shape. And Which is great. Yeah, it's like exactly what I was thinking, because mm. in this particular part of the book series here, they are freezing cold they are starving and they are right now in the series just trying to light this fire so they can try and hold off this army of wolves that apparently is following them and scaring them so like you see Perrin just like repeatedly trying to be like I can do this let me do this I can take care of you like striking the rock with his knife and then Egwene's just over there being like I'm going to channel us a fire and so Perrin asks did I do that or did you do that, Egwene? So, Mike, what's your verdict? Who actually started the fire? We didn't start the fire.
1: Um, no, I think Egwene did. Me too. And I like Perrin's reaction because afterwards he's like, oh, I wish you could channel us some food and water. And <laughs> I, I think that's great because, you know, Egwene's been sitting there nervous about it. You because know, yeah. how, did, how Rand, Rand reacts and how Rand has acted about it. And then, so she's probably felt kind of bad about having this ability and using this or even thinking about using it. And then she uses it to help her and Perrin and Perrin's reaction isn't judging or anything else. It's thankful, light, and just kind of very human. And right. I, I thought that was really cool because then you start to see their, um, like friendship really yeah, blossom sure. a little bit more. I thought that she didn't necessarily get in the books.
0: Yeah, I thought that Perrin had the right reaction. He was grateful for Nine- for Egwene providing some fire for some warmth and just kind of like, "Hey, can you do more? If you can do it, I'm all ears. I'm open." But he was very comforting in this scene here and was was nice to see like i i liked this side of perrin as well here um after he wasn't trying to like be like i'll take care of you let me do this thing like again like he's still clearly suffering from the death of his wife and i feel like that's going to be something we see with perrin for a long while is just the, the suffering that he is feeling inside for having killed his wife
1: until we uh find out that she was a dark friend I hope we do.
0: I really hope we do. Um, But the next part I want to talk about is when Lan has Nynaeve tied to a tree. And it's like, you're going to help Moraine or I'm not going to let you go. And so he ungags her. And Nynaeve's like, you're in no position to be making demands because I'm the only one here that can heal. And if you don't do what I say, then you're not getting any. And he's like, is that a demand? She's like, no, it's a threat. And I'm like that love is that. great. Like I love that scene. Classic
1: naive. Yeah, their dynamic naive and lands was so 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 good.
0: Yeah, I loved watching them together in this episode, and especially in this scene here, where he's just like curiously watching her gather up what he need, what she needs to heal Moraine, and like make this poultice that <laughs> she's gonna put on her wound. But he's like, she's like, also, I hear Warders feel what their I said I feel. Get ready because this is going to hurt and just pops the, the pus-filled wound there, and just, ugh, nasty looking, but her wisdom skills were on full display. You could tell that Lan was feeling it. He's like, ooh, I like that braid. <laughs> um, so it also did that, did touch on the warder's bond as well, which we mm-hmm. haven't gotten too much of yet to this point. The explanation of what an said Sedai feels is what her bonded water also feels. So that was good to hear. So I want to talk to you, Mike, about Perrin's dream. So in this dream here, Perrin is walking through his forge looking for his wife and then he like transitions into Baal and then transitions back into Perrin and then Perrin sees this wolf eating his dead wife's corpse. So what's your interpretation of this?
1: So I know some people have said this is further proof that his wife was dark friend, that the wolf was eating her. And I kind of agree, not because um, she was necessarily a dark friend in real life, as it's, as it said in the books, a lot of the times, like the wolves don't really care about humans um, too much. But I think in the dreamscape, if Baalzaman had brought his wife back as like, like sort of a way to manipulate him the wolves are protecting him and so that would lead them to do that and so they're kind of protecting him from her the other
0: thing that i've seen upset about this scene is it's proof that she's a dark friend but also that this could be Baalzamon trying to turn perrin away from the wolves by having the wolf eat his dead wife in front of him he might be like oh i don't like these wolves these are not my friends they're not my wolf brothers
1: They are evil. They're eating my wife. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that because in the books, the wolf brother kind of, I guess, ability or trait isn't really treated with a whole lot of respect. You know what I mean? Um, Yes, Trollocs are scared of wolves. But like outside of Trollocs, you know, the rest, like my Murderals and stuff, like they can take care of a lot of wolves and like the Forsaken aren't going to be worried about wolves. So I don't know. Then we get the wolves
0: guiding Perrin and Egwene. I thought that was clever. Yeah, I thought that was very clever. Because you have, like, this place of safety, which I think now is with the Mm -hmm. Tuathawan. Which makes sense. Um, But we'll get to that in a minute here. But the wolves are kind of, like, shepherding um, Egwene and Perrin over towards civilization. And, like, trying to help them while keeping their distance because of how scared they are of them, I feel like. Yeah. So then we have Matt and Rand rolling up into Bree Spring, and the first thing you see is an Aiel in a cage with arrows pelted all through him here. So I was like, oh, is this foreshadowing or is this like a book call out that we saw from like later on in the series coming into, you know, season one here? So what did you think of seeing our Aiel friend, uh, Threefold Land brothers and sisters in a cage there?
1: Um, we don't really get the reasoning until later on, and I think it's really well implemented. One, it introduces the IEL. It starts to give some hints um, we get later on, and it starts to create a relationship between two characters that I think is really important, and the way it started was really well done, in my opinion. But it is definitely a nod to book three. Yes, <laughs> that book
0: agreed. Two? 100% agreed. Book it's three, book yeah. three. Um, so then we get... Matt and Rand walking through town here, and they hear some cheering in this building. So they walk into this tavern, and who is there but good old Tom Marilyn, our local gleeman. So I was super excited to finally see Tom, because I was watching the first two episodes being like, oh, okay, so wait, where's Tom in the Two Rivers? Wait, where's Tom in episode two? Are they even going to include him in these first three episodes? And lo and behold, here he is hiding in pre-spring. So before I get into this with you, Mike, the first thing I want to mention is I am super excited because Tom has patches yes. on inside of I his I saw cloak. that on
1: my uh, so, watch through last night.
0: Yeah, I saw that and I was just like, oh, so good. I'm glad that they actually included that. So I feel like that is like a subtle call out to his book mm-hmm. counterpart who wears like the patchwork cloak. But they're going to have him wear more appropriate, less (laughs) eye-gouging-out-looking clothing here, and just kind of give a nod to it by having it on the inside of his cloak. So I was happy to see that. Um, What was your thoughts, Mike, on the this tavern scene here that we see
1: really cool to get like just a plain Jane like tavern scene with a bunch of people the barmaid or the owner I couldn't quite get a feel on what her job was the innkeeper I guess the proprietor Um, she was I liked her casting she was really quippy and her lines were really good and when she says oh yeah Tom's gonna be on in a moment and then everyone turns and the room gets dead silent as he just walks up on stage the little you know stage and just starts singing his very depressing sad song which I don't know if you caught Dylan but was definitely about the dragon well so I have written down in my notes I'm like Tom's song about
0: lose there in question mark Oh yeah. I'm definitely <laughs> so I'm glad we had similar uh, opinions on that similar yeah. vibes and of yeah
1: I like that he played that because and he just got off stage and the entire room is silent the entire time and everyone's just like so depressed or just caught in this just like awe,
0: caught in his spell, yeah. yeah.
1: And then you know, the innkeeper breaks it. So, are you gonna cry or are you want another round? And I thought, yeah, <laughs> and it just kind of clicked back into life. I thought that was really well done, even though his he wasn't like amazing, an amazing singer. And in terms of like if you compared him to some famous singers, I suppose he still was, it was still really well done.
0: No, I really liked that scene as well. And I, like you was like, wait, is this song about Luce Theron Telemann? Is this song about the dragon? And it 100% is. And I'm sure we'll learn a little bit more, I hope he will, about Tom's connection to male channelers and why he valued, or why he would sing a song like that. But you'll notice he had no harp, no flute, but he's playing a mean guitar. So I am okay with that i think tom is still tom and as long as he's still his own personality that is the part of tom i am most caring about um but what were your thoughts mike on the changing of the instrument you know
1: maybe it just was an instrument he chose to use in this town because it was just a crappy town but it wasn't a. <laughs> he doesn't have very many fond feelings towards his town
0: well, also, maybe the actor who plays Tom can actually play the guitar. And so if that's the case, then it to me it would make a lot more sense to have this actor who clearly can act, mm-hmm. who can sing quite well, and if he can also actually play the instrument you're going to have, have him perform authentic. with it makes it way more authentic so yeah um so the next part i have written down here is that matt is like visibly changing he's much more sullen yeah. and even rand notices and it's almost like rand and matt swapped personalities now
1: yeah a little bit i'd agree with that um and i thought i did like that interaction with tom Marilyn where he sat down and after matt had gotten his purse stolen and you know sort of gives him a lesson there and <laughs> That interaction was really great. And Rand's just like, sit down and just kind of joking about it. Yeah. Like, it was good.
0: So I also want to just like comment on the, uh, the wood chopping bit there with Rand and Matt and how Rand was like, you know what? I'm going to do this all myself. I'm going to... You never want to do any work anyway. I'm going to do what I need to do to like take care of us. So go do whatever you want to do here as you always do. And so... Then Matt goes inside and he's like, I'm going to beg, borrow, or steal to get home. I don't care. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. This is not what I want to see. Because it's just, again, perpetuating the bad parts of the choices they made with Massafar in this series. And I, I really wanted to continue to see growth with him and not delve back into the parts I did not like about him. In the first couple episodes. But I feel like we're, so, we're not at,
1: mm. you know, it's only been two episodes. And so I don't think we're going to see that growth. And especially now that he has the dagger until that's um, kind of disappeared. Until that's. And, and I vision. really yeah. like how he, one, he hasn't shared it with anyone. He hasn't shared it with Rand at all. Yep. And two, you know, he's sitting there like, I need all this money to get home and doesn't even like contemplate or think about it.
0: Yeah, like he's not even like considering selling mm-hmm. the dagger. He's not even considering parting with it. And so, as you'll find out soon, like that dagger, he's attached to it. Um. So the next part I want to talk about are the Tuathuán walking out of the mist, all creepy, <laughs> being like, "Do you know the song?" And so I thought that was a little, <laughs> a little creepy, but I liked it.
1: I, I liked that they had, and then Aram was just like, "Oh come on, yeah. guys! Like they don't know the song for real."
0: Aram's like, no, come on, come on. You can tell by looking at him. If they would have said something by now, they don't know the song. Yeah, and and I actually really liked Aram. Like, yeah. I thought he was cocky, but he seemed really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked him. And you could see him googling Ale- Egwene yeah, a little bit. The
1: older Tuathawan too. Um, I forget the grandmother's name there.
0: Um, it's like Rain and Ayla.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that Ayla or Ala, or yeah whatever her name is she kind of took more of the the like more of the role there than um than rain yeah than rain did agreed
0: and like that's something like we're gonna see a lot of in this series i feel like is just like
1: wheel of time
0: in general is a series about very strong and powerful women and i feel like the show is taking it up even another notch to make it very clear that this show is highlighting just how strong and powerful women can be given the situation here um so the next part i want to talk with you about is how Gwen and parent as soon as they get like the okay just start downing their food <laughs> and i just couldn't help but like laugh out loud when that part happens me too and it looks like they're eating like some kind of curry dish or something like that as well so i was like i can't imagine like that's not spicy so <laughs> just like chowing it down like that you must be like burning your <laughs> mouth up
1: maybe i i I know we talked before about how the colors are definitely dimmed from what they were in the book, how the Tuathawan were described, usually wearing very vibrant and bright and just uh, (laughs) eyeball-hurting arrays of colors. I still think, like, even though it's much more muted, you can definitely tell the difference because of it versus the rest of the series or versus like the rest of the settings and the rest of the culture
0: i will agree with you on that because so far we've seen that this series has taken a darker tone overall Mm -hmm. and that's applied from everything from the subject matter to the clothing choices to like personalities as well so like i feel like it's still colorful considering what we are getting in the series here just not quite as colorful as maybe I've pictured it as it was described from the books here. Um, The other thing I will bring up here is we've seen a lot of diversity so far in every single casting that we've gotten. Like we've seen it in the Two Rivers. We've seen it in Breeze Spring we have seen it with the Tuathuan and the white cloaks. The one piece I'm a little bit nervous about is the Aiel when they actually get revealed because of how isolated that whole community is. And I understand seeing this in the Tuathuan because the Tuathuan are the traveling people. They go around all over the place and they will take anyone who wants to be among them among them and like adopt people into their society Mm -hmm. so it makes total sense to see the diversity in the Tuathawan. but i'm just hoping when we get to see the IEL for real that we get something that is maybe a little bit more homogenous just because of how absolutely isolated that that um community is
1: i don't disagree and i did want to just bring up too um because i saw some people talking about that uh i do hope we we have seen really great diversity but I really hope we see some powerful, um, like we've had a lot of mixed race individuals, but powerful like black individuals who are not cast as villains. That is very true
0: because so far we have pa- Pot and Fane, mm-hmm. we have Amon Valda, yeah. but so far I mean Perrin, yeah, yeah. But we'll we'll see how it goes because I'm I'm with you there. Like I'm hoping that we don't don't get like the stereotypical. Yeah. Oh, you know, black is evil type of thing here. But I will say the actors that they have playing oh, those brilliant. two villains we've talked about—they have been amazing, and I've loved them. They're So, far. so no, no disrespect to the actors no. at all. I'm just hoping we do see some more heroes, Ooh, like as Gareth well.
1: Brynn. Maybe that'd be a good role.
0: That'd be a really good one. Yeah, Gareth Brynn for sure. Um, but the next part I want to talk about getting back to the actual series that we are seeing right now. After that little aside there. Um, as we see, Rand has a way with the ladies, because not only does he have a Gwaine going on in his life here, he is flirting, he is getting flirted with, mm-hmm. and the barmaid here, Dana, I got her name oh, thank um, you. here, she she uh, is <laughs> definitely feeling our, uh, our fiery
1: redhead. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's all about that Rand life until she goes in for that kiss and he's just like oh wait no oh and then we get oh this was so before probably we, my before favorite we get into this like i'm getting ahead yes i know sorry
0: yes okay so uh, we then get a little break in the romantic life of rand to go and see matt trying to steal from the dead aiel which again you know i'm just hammering this home i don't like parts of this side of matt but this part here i'm okay with because of the corruption of the dagger how this is like twisting his mind and making him single-minded about money give me more money Mm -hmm. i need more to get home or whatever else i need it for i just need money but i love this scene with him and tom because you see tom not approving of matt looting this dead body he's like I'm not going to even dignify this with a look. I'm going to turn my back on you. Let me know when you're done and we'll talk then.
1: I liked uh, the line he says though, where we all have desperate moments. I was just like, wow, that, that line just by itself in that situation, just amazing. That was just so good because you really get the fact that Tom has had those moments in his own life and he understands even though he does not agree and does not want any part of this he knows that just being a human you've had those instances
0: definitely and this scene right here just like reiterated my initial feelings on tom and just making me really like the direction they're taking his character Mm -hmm. as well like i feel like even though he's not like, the giant, mustached, older gentleman that we know and love from the books. He is still a phenomenal character in this series so far. And I'm liking his little history lesson on the Aiel. I'm liking how relatable he seems and how tortured he seems. And, like, I'm really liking what we're getting from Tom Maryland so far. So, jumping into what everybody wants to talk about. <laughs> By everybody, I mean you and me, Mike.
1: (laughs) It is Dana the Dark Friend.
0: Let's let's have at it. Go for it. So
1: I was watching, I got to rewatch that last night with my partner. And that entire scene, I just turned, I like had one eye on the TV, the other on her face. So I could see her reaction. She was like, wait, what's she doing? Why is she chasing him with a sword? What's happening? And then (laughs) the moment, I, I know I'm going ahead here. But the moment the dagger went through her throat, it was just like, it was just like, the jump kind of scare there. And she just like looked at me afterwards and she's like, what happened? Why did he kill her? (laughs) And then I was like, she's a dark friend. (laughs) This was something we had talked about when we talked about dark friends, anyone can be a dark friend. And I think this was such a great way to implement it because you liked this character. Dana was so likable, so likable. She was, she had so much personality. She was funny. She got a, she got a wrong, around really well with, or along really well with both Rand and Matt, and you you felt for her character. Like, she just wants to go and explore the world. And then it's like, she's talking to the Merdral, the Fade, and she wants the Shadow to win. I think for I for me as a book fan, like, I loved it. For, like, my partner who has no experience with the book series at all and, like, asks me questions constantly as we're watching, I think it's it's a little disconnected because you haven't really gotten introduced too much or too much told to you about like the dark and the dark side of things i guess and the creator and like you know that struggle between dark and light and so i can see where that may be a little confusing for people but i still think it was really well done
0: yeah i know i have written down in my notes uh like i said dana the dark friend i love that part there, absolutely amazing but i was like Hopefully the first of many Mm -hmm. surprise reveals of Dark Friends here. And uh, my fiance Amy, she was like, oh, I loved that she was a Dark Friend. I did not see that coming Mm -hmm. and really enjoyed that part there. Um, I want to talk to you, though, Mike, about some of the middle scenes there between Dana revealing herself as a Dark Friend and between her getting a knife shoved through her throat by Tom. (laughs) So, the first thing I want to talk to you is when Rand is trapped inside the door there. She's like, oh, this is Ironwood. Three grown men couldn't open this door. And then Rand is, like, slamming and slamming, and all of a sudden, he slams through. So, I got the feeling, like, maybe he channeled to get some extra strength
1: there. Yes, absolutely. But- that's yeah. exactly what it was.
0: And so it just made me kind of think about how in the book series when Matt and Rand they actually get trapped by some dark friends um in uh, this room and mm. I think I can't remember I think it's an inn and in, yes. And they like blow out the wall, Rand blows up the wall with a one power. Yeah, with lightning. I was like, this seemed like a much more budget-friendly version of that, where where yeah. instead of doing the special effect budget of lightning coming down and blowing up this whole wall here, you have Rand just using it to give himself more strength, using the one power, using Sidene, to give himself more strength yeah. to bust through and the wall And
1: paus- it, like, it's still plausible within, you know, what was happening in that yes. episode. Like, if you have no idea about... The, like the history of the Wheel of Time series or anything else. Like if you're watching this, you're like, oh wow, like he got really lucky he could knock that down. Or apparently she just thought it was really strong and he's actually stronger than she thought.
0: Yeah, so the next part I want to talk about here is when Dana's talking about bringing the dragon to the Dark One. Mm-hmm. And she's like, the last time the dragon was brought to the Dark One was 3,000 years ago. And we all still remember his name, Ishamael and I was like, wait, 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 what? Is shamael brought the dragon to the Dark One, to the side of evil? Yeah,
1: I I was also wondering a bit about that. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I'm interested to see how they explain that a little bit more. I was thinking maybe it was just through a different rebirth of the dragon, maybe before Lewis Theron, or don't know.
0: Yeah, but I wasn't like 100% on board with that particular statement. But at the same time, it really caught me off guard and made me have some questions there um but the next thing i'm gonna say is goodbye bow hello sword because rand is leaving the bow behind in breeze spring but he went back for his sword that dana was wielding trying to kill him with and he grabbed that before him tom and matt hightailed it out of there
1: i think we're gonna get a lot of good like i know we're not talking yet about like theories for the next episode, but I think this is a really great place to just sort of transition into that. And I think we're gonna get a lot of good explanation about the world and about um, maybe some more history with like the dragon and stuff. This next episode obviously is called the Dragon Reborn. I think this is where Tom will tell them some stories and they'll learn about Lewis Theron Telemond and maybe we'll get some flashbacks to actual Lewis Theron Telemond and we'll meet Loghain and get some more explanation about him and what's happening with that.
0: Right, because like Mike just said, the ending of this episode, you see Moraine, Lan, and Nynaeve get to the other Aes Sedai, and they're like, oh, we captured somebody who was calling himself the Dragon Reborn. And then it shows a man in a cage, and that man is Loghain. So if you read the books, you know who Loghain is. But if you have not, then this next episode, you're about to find out. Because it's called the Dragon Reborn, the episode... um, And so, like Mike said, my personal belief here is that in this next episode, episode four, we're going to be getting a lot more explanation of what's happening in this world. We're going to get Tom telling stories to Matt and Rand. We're going to get more information about Loghain, figuring out maybe how he was captured, what he can do, what he's all about, and... I personally think we're going to see some of those scenes we saw from the trailer with Loghain using Sidene uh, in this next episode. So, I am very excited to see that. Um, I would be thrilled if we actually get some flashbacks to Luz there in Telamon. Um To see the dragon in action, mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to get that. We might get some more explanation of like the different aspects of the Koreathon cycle or the prophecies of the dragon, which help everybody identify when the dragon has been reborn. So what else are you looking forward to in this next episode, Mike? Or what are your predictions for episode four?
1: Well, I kind of already said what I'm thinking there with, you know, getting more information on the dragon and stuff. And I do think uh, to kind of wrap it up with Perrin and Egwene, we'll get them meeting the Tuathuan a little bit more. Maybe by the end of the episode, they decide to go. Not sure yet how that's going to work out. Also might be where they meet up with the White Cloaks or something happens. Or maybe they end up meeting Elias Penchera. Who knows? Or I mean, even farther on, they could even meet Loyal.
0: Yeah, and I mean what my belief is as far as Aquain and Perrin, because they are going to be in this next episode. There's no getting around that. Mm -hmm. So what is going to be their story? My belief is that we're going to get them leaving the Tuathuan having another run-in with the White Cloaks and then the White Cloaks remembering them from earlier because bald is like i never forget a face so i'll see you again
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and having questions of like oh i thought you said you were going to whitebridge why are you alone where's everyone else you were with all of that sort of stuff there and i hope we get elias machira i feel like if we're ever going to get him at all in this series we're going to get elias in this next episode but my hopes are not high as far as that goes um, I think we will, though, see the White Cloaks and Perrin have a little bit of an altercation. Um, I also feel like the rest of our friends, there, like Matt and Rand and Tom, they might get to Whitebridge. Yeah. Uh, in this next episode here, um, I don't, I don't know, like if everybody is going to come together and meet in Whitebridge here um, in this in the show because that was what Camelin served as in the novels was the the point where everyone got back together so i think if it is Whitebridge that they use for that then um matt and rand might start learning some gleeman tricks from tom as well like i would think that'd be really cool to see like some acrobats some tumbling happening as well as like maybe starting to teach rand how to play the guitar or other things like that and I think, again, we're going to get a lot more, like, world-building in this next episode and a little bit less character development.
1: Green. On there.
0: All right, well, that's all we have for you for this week here. So, as always, feel free to reach out if you have any thoughts on the show. We'd love to hear your predictions for what you expect to see in episode four and beyond. Or if you have any comments or questions for the show, again, it's at WOTRewind on Instagram and Twitter. But... Without further ado, we will see you at the next turning of the wheel. Goodbye.
1: Bye now.